0: Welcome to Innovate at Open, the podcast that explores open source through the lenses of distributed collaboration, collective invention, and technology creation. I'm your host, Gordon Half, Technology Evangelist with Red Hat. Hi, everyone. This is Gordon Half, Technology Evangelist with Red Hat and I'm here for another episode of Innovate at Open. I'm here at Red Hat Research Day in Brno in the Czech Republic. And I'm here with Michael Zink of the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. And we're going to talk about Open Cloud Testbed. Michael, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, Thank you, Gordon,
1: for the wonderful introduction. So I'm a professor at the University of Massachusetts in Am- at Amherst in the Electric and Computer Engineering Department. I've been working on distributed systems and computer networks for most of my research life. I'm also pretty active in the area of multimedia streaming and multimedia communications. Today, I think we're going to focus a little bit more on the open cloud testbed. And um, what we're going to do in this project, this is a national science-funded project that just started in October, so we're really in the early stages of this project. I think I want to give you a little bit of background information and then tell you about the project itself. Uh, we're in the wonderful po- uh, position in Massachusetts of having... a. Green High-Performance Compute Center, (MGH PCC), the Massachusetts Green High-Performance Compute Center, that uh, brings together five universities from the state, um, Boston University, Northeastern University, MIT, Harvard, and uh, the University of Massachusetts System, where we have a lot of research compute infrastructure, high-performance computes, but also other um, smaller um, installations and also the Massachusetts Open Cloud. And, and that brings together all this compute infrastructure and cloud computing uh, resources, um, and which we want to build on top of it.
0: There's some specific things around the open cloud test bed I want to dive into. But can you give us some background on the Massachusetts open cloud, what it is, where it runs, what the original motivations were, what some of the history is? Yeah.
1: So, so the Massachusetts Open
0: Cloud is, it,
1: it runs in the high performance compute center. I just mentioned MGHPCC. It is an open cloud exchange. It provides hardware where people can, it's a, it's a production cloud, um, where people can run, you know, their applications, their cloud applications on. Um, this is tailored mostly towards researchers from the different institutions I just mentioned, um, to run their, their research computational needs uh, on it and um but it's also a very collaborative approach between um the open source community and industry so there's a lot of back and forth with for example Red Hat uh, on certain technologies to make the cloud more efficient to help um you know researchers with their applications to run them a very nice side effect of MOCs also that there's a lot of data sets available. Harvard Dataverse, for example, is hosting their data at MOCs. So that's good for the
0: research community because they can use these data sets for some of their research goals. The, the idea of data sets is particularly interesting right now because commute is something of a commodity and obviously there's good reasons to be sort of running compute on your own systems rather than farming things out particularly in a university setting but could you talk a little bit more about the data sets that were available in mass open cloud
1: so yeah so, so i just mentioned data where so so that's that's a that's a project out of um Harvard University, which has all kinds of, of different types. And it's actually a, it's actually community driven. So people can provide their own or make their own data sets available. This is all from social science studies, from sensor networks, all kinds of different data sets. What we are actually also aiming for in addition is make telemetry data about the cloud available so people can s- have certain uses. Uh, I will speak about another project soon. Uh, but in that project called cloud lab, we actually built the infrastructure to measure power consumption. So, you know, if you, everyone can read articles about these days about, you know, how much data compute centers uh, or high performance compute centers, how much power, excuse me, high performance compute centers uh, consume. And we want to be more efficient in the future and being, ana- being able to measure that power consumption, I think is a one, is a, is an important aspect and, and, and making that also publicly available because but then people can use the data compared to their approaches or use that as traces to run other kind of simulations or emulations based on that.
0: Uh, you just mentioned Cloud Lab. Could you go into a little more detail about it?
1: So about five, six years ago, um, there was a push from the systems research community. So, you know, the the, the computer scientists and computer engineers who built systems like clouds, like HPC clusters, like high-performance networks and so on. You know, there's the, the commercial clouds give the research community on the application side, a lot of offers. Right there's often good sense to run something on Amazon or, or um, Google Cloud or Azure, but we cannot go deeply into the inner workings of of, of those. That those that are commercial entities. Their goal, primary goal, is to make a profit. That's all good and understood. But they they have they want to keep some stuff. Their private information to um to have a benefit from that. But we need sometimes to be able to dig down. We need to be able to put certain software in the cloud stack in to explore that. There's new ideas, new inventions and we cannot do that. And So that's when NSF said, okay, we're going to fund mid-scale cloud infrastructure that is based on bare metal provisioning, high level of isolation to also allow reproducibility. So CloudLab is one of these <laughs> NSF-funded projects um, where we have about 1,500 cores available now, right now at different locations. Anyone who is a researcher in the US can can get an account that can log in, can get their slice of bare metal machines plus networking to run their cloud experiments on that uh, infrastructure.
0: You're a computer science engineering professor. I'm interested from an educational point of view, what benefits are you seeing with these kind of projects?
1: Oh, there's huge benefits on the educational point of view. Coming back to Lab, for example, you get, when I talk about a slice, that's a combination of bare metal nodes plus networking. You get that and you can, you can run whatever you can dream of on there, right? What the hardware allows you to do and you can, you can break it, right? Because you can just reboot it afterwards and just start from scratch. Or maybe you learned something when you broke it and then make some improvements and start over again. So I think from an educational point of view, that's, that's really great because, you know, I always give this example when, when, when dates myself here, but when I was doing some stuff on network kernel, on, On MPLS, actually, multi protocol label switching, implementing this in the kernel. I had to have two computers, right, with a serial cable to do kernel debugging on the other side. We don't need all these things anymore. Virtualization is helping us. These test beds are really helping us because we can try things out. We can break them and then we can start over again, right? And so that's, that's, I think, on the, on the educational side. A wonderful tool for, you know, undergrads and graduate students these days to learn about this, to get their hands dirty on this, to learn some hard lessons as we all had to do, and then and then to move on. And and I think it also um provides them pretty well for, you know, their professional life because they're learning a lot of things. They are basically could only learn in devs, DevOps and only to a certain degree, I would say.
0: It feels like, in a way, we haven't done a good enough job in some ways of simplifying things. But in other ways, from the point of view of a computer science or an electrical engineering student with public cloud, certainly, we've created this environment where it's like, you don't need to know anything below this level. Trust us. We're taking care of this for you. You don't need to know about these things. But, of course, if you're a computer science or an electrical engineering student, you really should know something about these things. Yes,
1: I, I, can, I couldn't even agree more with you. You know, there's, there's, there's different needs and there's, there's good reasons for having public clouds and cloud applications. But for the people who are really working on the system side, they have to be able to go deep down, understand that, well… We really understand well operating systems, really understand distributed systems really well, and try things out, right? I, I, I always tell my students, you only learn from making mistakes. And here we can make mistakes without having big consequences, right? I mean, you can't, you can't do this in any kind of production cloud because that's going to bring things down and people are going to be upset and it's causing financial loss and so on. And so having these sandboxes and playgrounds is, is, I think, something really, really important for the research community.
0: Let's get back to the open cloud test bed, which I think this morning you destri- described the survey next step here. Tell us a little more about it. So this
1: was something driven out of my co um Oran Krieger and Peter Desnoyers being involved in Massachusetts Open Cloud for for a long time, and I being involved in 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 CloudLab. But we thought this is very interesting. There's there's aspects on both sides. If we merge them, there's a the sum of it is going to be better than just the, the individuals. So the idea here is first of all to to bring more flexibility into it, so to kind of make CloudLab burstable. We can add more resources if they're not used, for example, from MOC. But also then, once you have done certain experiments on Cloud Lab and are happy with your modifications, you can kind of bring it back into the MOC, into the production cloud, and have actual users using your new algorithms, your new cloud OS, and so on. And so that's what we're kind of striving for. Important is also um, by reaching out to the community and working with... Um, Martin Herbert and Miriam Lisa, colleagues at Northeastern and um, BU, um, the, the need for FPGAs in clouds became also clear. And I, with that, I mean actually totally open, accessible FPGAs for the for the community. And so that's another aspect we're going to have in, in open cloud testing.
0: There's been a lot of talk about FPGAs because, well, first of all, why don't you tell our listeners why there's suddenly all this attention in FPGAs?
1: So, so I should reveal that I'm not a core FP, FPGA expert, but what I think is is there's there's certain algorithms that run really really efficiently on FPGAs. On one side, uh, a lot of the cryptography algorithms that you news, use for for certain security applications. There's also some machine learning algorithms that run really well on FPGAs. Um, they also give you a lot of flexibility there because they're nicely reconfigurable. And so I think that's that's uh, one of the two important aspects here. The other one is if you look at the network community, we're talking about software-defined, deeply programmable, net, programmable networks. The people who are in that area would understand something like P4. You can run that on FPGAs. So, so we're talking about something that's called bump in the wire. So bits are coming in over over the wire. The FPGA can do some processing of that network information, really really fast, and take some load off the the CPU or the rest of the of the of, of your of your server and make that very efficient. And I think there's a lot of Research going on in this area, and again, with what we are having in 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 mind, is again bringing us opening up a sandbox for the research community to test their new ideas uh, without having any any consequences by if something by if should something go wrong.
0: And one of the issues with FPGAs has been that. They have very proprietary tool chains historically. What is kind of going on in the research community that you're involved with? And I know you're not the primary FPGA person in this project, but what's being done to kind of open up that tool chain?
1: Yes, yeah, so there is there are some projects going on. There's actually a collaboration I'm aware of between Boston University and Red Hat uh, by opening up their tool ch- tool chain by making a an, an open source tool chain available that would release or, or, you know, reduce the dependency on the tool chains that that are, you know, in place by the vendors right now. That's something that people are working on very hard right now, but we have to see how this evolves um, over the future, but we're watching this closely and we'll bring that into the open cloud test, bed as soon as it's ready for
0: usage. One of the things, I've, I I originally come from kind of a hardware background, and one of the things that I find so exciting about a lot of the research that's happening today is we used to have this plethora of different system architectures and all kinds of interesting things, and without taking too much away from all the engineers involved, it kind of devolved into this x86 everywhere, dual socket servers everywhere. But it seems like there is a lot of interesting research kicking off again in this area.
1: So absolutely, um, and that's important. I think um, heterogeneity is always a good thing. It drives innovation, right? Um, I don't want to say that having the x86 architecture is a bad thing. It's driven a lot of good things but I think we should look into all the other opportunities, right? I mean, if you think far out, neuromorphic computing... Quantum computing, right? We have all this. There's this, this, this really exciting times ahead of us. We, we don't really. It's hard to say where these are all going, but uh, even in the short term, FPGAs. There is, you know, certain. There's GPUs. On the other hand, there's even uh, certain machine learning type of processors that are coming up now, or at least are mentioned once in a while. So I, see, I think we see a, we see a really interesting um, a, a area ahead of us, and then I think we have to also make sure that. We, we talked about education before that we give access to our students to these new technologies in, in, in a meaningful way so they can learn about this and become experts in the field to drive that forward. I want to give you one example that I've always been thinking about. Um, I don't know how realistic this is. I, I work on the multimedia streaming side, right? So, so we have. You know, YouTube and we have Netflix. It's actually, you know, the most, it's the killer app in the internet these days. Do we really need all these servers with these CPUs just to stream a video from a hard disk to a network card, right? So, where can we specialize hardware on that side, right? And, and, and I think we will see that more and more. We want to make things energy efficient. We want to make things easier, easier manageable. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of, a lot of interesting things over the next um, five
0: years. I think it's interesting times ahead. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Innovate at Open. For future episodes, subscribe to Innovate at Open on your favorite podcast app. You can also go bitmason.blogspot.com for show notes, blogs, and a full archive of episodes and more. Thank you for listening. This is Gordon Half, Technology Evangelist at Red Hat.